0: Good morning, again. Good to see you. Welcome again online. My name is Ross, one of the pastors here, and we're going to dive straight in to the book of Jonah. Last week we opened our series. Pastor Matt walked us through the first chapter, and I am honored to walk us through the next and a little bit of the first. You'll see in a second. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bible uh, to Jonah, we're going to be in Jonah one seventeen through two ten. I'll give you some time for that. But with this uh, book specifically. Um, <clears throat> Really quickly, as you read through it, you begin to notice the book's much more than about a big fish who consumes Jonah, uh, but a really big God who has compassion and love and mercy for people, people like Jonah and people that he wants to send Jonah to. But what I want to show you this morning and where I want us to take a step in learning today is that like Jonah, we're all in need of saving, And to receive it, we must recognize our need and turn back to God. And so let's read the passage together in Jonah 1.17 through 2.10. It goes like this. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Verse 5 says, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed rat was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of praise, grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, the word delivered this morning, God, that we're able to um, not only read and reflect, but entrust and live by the very word that you've provided So God, I pray as we walk through um, this section of Jonah today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the steps in which we need to take to entrust our lives to you, to trust everything in you, and be obediently walking after your command, your call. So God, uh, help us, be with us like you already are. We entrust this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. In about the 1970s, a high pitch sound between 400 and 600 hertz was created and known as the tornado siren. Tornado sirens are extremely important. And I don't know if you live near one at all in your neighborhood or anything, uh, and you begin to hear them over and over during those testing weekdays, whatever it is. You know, tor- Tornado sirens are important, though. Like, why are they so important? Well, in different parts of the country, tornadoes where they're more frequent are severely important because when they are coming to be tornadoes on the ground, the siren will go off. And what will that siren do? Alert me and you to run for shelter. There's a danger ahead. Something is coming, and professionals are watching, and then they sound the sirens. I can only imagine that some guy is in his basement nearby watching the weather, maybe outside, and then pushes a button, and the siren goes off, you know? Like, that's creative thought, right? That's got to be the case. We can just imagine. But, but tornado sirens are extremely important, and some might ask, like, why that sound? And you think if you just think on the tornado siren, or it can be a lightning siren, whatever it might be, or sirens in general, why they're that sound? Well, if you think of it, those sounds really quickly prompt a response in us. I even talk with some people who, when they hear the sound, they begin to feel sad or nervous or or fearful. It's because they created that sound, hopefully prompt a response in you and me. And when we hear it, we would run. For shelter, We would run for safety. So they're good for so many things. Getting attentions of wider audiences. And I think maybe you even sit in your home and you're so close to a siren that you're in that bedroom and you can just hear it so loud and vibrant if you're near a school or a park. Maybe, you know, you're living, like wherever you live, your neighborhood has one. It's a warning of incoming danger, but it prompts a response in us. They alert us to the problem that is coming the danger that's ahead and then prompts a response to run for safety. And as we navigate and learn through the book of Jonah, Jonah's in a situation where there's no sirens to be sounded, but yet his present state is causing all alarm because as we've read so far, he's been consumed by a large fish and yet the sirens internally are going off. And man, I must turn to something. I need saving desperately in this moment. And where should he turn? Where would he turn? If you're following along in your notes, um, and like I said, similar to Jonah, we all need to be saved and to receive it, we must recognize and turn to God. God rescues Jonah. Jonah we continue on you can take a note on that God rescues Jonah in verse 117 it begins now the Lord provided this huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights and we see this word provided and it's very uniquely important because so far so if you were with us last week Jonah had received this command from God to go and tell and yet what does Jonah do turn and run no I am not doing that and and runs away so much so he's on this ship he gets thrown over And yet the Lord provides a fish to rescue. The Lord provided. What a great provision, but yet in the belly of a fish. And we see this biblical typology. And and Pastor Matt really uh, hit on this last week of how Jesus is the greater Jonah. And this typology in Jonah we can see where we see this phrase, he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And Jesus actually recognizes that. And in a type, compares it in Matthew 12, 40, saying, for as Jonah was there three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so we see that Jonah is alerting us to the Jesus to come, but yet Jonah in his present circumstance is swallowed by a fish for three days, three nights. And you can even imagine, most likely we compare it to a whale of some sort, and I was even laughing this morning with our band, and how Shelby is one of our uh, worship leaders up here. She was leading this morning, and I was like, Shelby, for you, a, a smaller fish could take you on, but for me, I, I require a big fish. You know, I'm a bigger guy, right? Like, naturally? No, okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll try that one next week. But anyways, like, like, regardless, this must have been some sort of massive fish for Jonah to be consumed and live. There's space, he's breathing, he's still alive. And yet we get an inside view of his prayer and who he turns to. See, Jonah knows God. He's a prophet set apart by God but to deliver the message of God. And yet in this disobedience we see of him from chapter one, he's in the belly of a fish. And you gotta admit, if he's a guy that knows God, he knows who to turn to. So in his belly of the fish, He begins to pray in verse one in chapter two. For inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said this, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry, speaking of God. It's interesting that Jonah begins with the end of being answered of the prayer, but there's so much yet that we must walk through. See, God rescues Jonah. Jonah knew who to turn to. I think really quickly of a um, a show called The Office. You've probably never heard of it since no one left at my joke earlier. It's all good. Um, But The Office, there's this character, Michael Scott, and this character, Dwight Schrute. And in this episode I saw, it was like this moment where, uh, so, so Michael's the manager, Dwight's the wannabe manager, okay? And in this episode, Michael's like following the GPS to a T, but his GPS wasn't updated. And in this moment, he's like turn by turn, exactly what it says. But Dwight, he knew where to turn. And in this case, knew where not to turn. So as they're approaching this turn to B, that is an old road that's no longer there, that actually leads to a lake. Um, Michael is just so you know desperately looking every turn by turn. I'm doing this turn. It's telling me to do that. And Dwight's like, No, I know where to turn, and it's not here. Don't do it. Don't do it. Right, I know where to turn. And yet Michael, in his ignorance, still turns the way the GPS commands, and he drives straight into a lake. They're upset. And wet. And it's brilliant comedy, people. It's, it's, it's really funny, okay? But I think overall, like, I think of, of Jonah's like Dwight in this scenario. Like, Jonah knows where to turn in the moment of distress, in the moment of being in the belly of a fish, knowing he's run from God, turned away, has been thrown into the water. And we see some imagery, these words he, he uses on his experience in the water of, of complete drowning. And yet God rescues and captures him with this fish, And yet he continues his prayer within because Jonah recognizes his need for saving. He recognizes it. It's ever so present in his his current being and state. He is consumed. If we continue on in verse three, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I'll look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. Jonah was drowning. He was in the depths. And you can only imagine if you see those videos on uh, on YouTube or TV, like the darkness of the depth of the sea that is so dark and removed from light. He's only feeling this pressing. I've been banished from your sight. Yet he knows God and his compassion. What does he say? I look to you. I look again towards you, God. In the belly of a fish, this is his prayer. Yet so far in this passage, it requires us to ask the ever so crucial question. That so far we might know, but there's something deeper that Jonah truly needs saving from. Because the question is, what exactly is it? What does Jonah need truly saved from? And we think very quickly, it's an easy answer. Physically, he needs saved from the belly of a fish, from the drowning of the sea. He has this physical need to be saved. He's there. He recognizes quickly his need physically. He's present in it. But there's something deeper that if we analyze Jonah's steps before and his continued... Steps to the moment that he truly needs saved from. See, there's a spiritual depth to Jonah's heart that he needs true saving from. And it's his pride. See, Jonah so far has had pride before God, has made his own plan the idol of his life and turned away. Said, no, not for those people. I hate them. I don't want them to know that. He has pride in his heart which if we can see here, he he speaks of, but yet turns to God knowing God's the only one he can turn to and is saved. So Jonah turns to God and he is saved. If we continue on and and the rest of verse six, but you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. I love those, those buts in the Bible, but you, God, but you, Lord, my God, brought me up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. In verse seven, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Verse eight, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's disgusting, that last part there. I read it every time, and I'm like, yeah, that, that one's rough. And then the parents in the room are like, I've experienced that with my kids. It's gotta be similar, you know? But, but we begin to see that root of pride that Jonah's speaking of. And although Jonah's saved here by God, he is, he is rescued and saved from that pit of a belly of a fish, from drowning. Yet we begin to see some alerting statements revealing Jonah's heart towards those around him and his pride. Verse eight, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. See, Jonah, really quickly at the read and the glance, you begin to see, oh, he's just owning up. Recently, Pastor Colin Smith, uh, he's a pastor in a church called The Orchard in Chicagoland, uh, led this, this conference that I attended through our denomination And he began to walk us through parts of the life of Peter, but the root of spiritual pride that we can have in our life. Now, if I'm looking at this statement really quickly, what seems good turns kind of sideways because if we are understanding Jonah's heart, he's pointing to the wrong position. Pastor Colin illuminated four different areas of spiritual pride in people's lives, even those throughout scripture. And I believe this first one Jonah's wrestling with. The very first one he mentioned is that when you feel stronger than other believers, you say things like, I'm more committed than they are. And that's where we see Jonah's statement going sideways. The pride in his heart that began from chapter one is continued in chapter two. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, God, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say what you've asked me to. And yet, verse eight shows us all the more his heart towards others, that he feels stronger and better, that he's maybe too good, good enough. A few others that Pastor Colin mentioned that I just wanted to share, we won't deep dive into it. Speaking of spiritual pride is that you hear the words of Jesus for others, but not yourself. When I get this feeling that this message is really good for that person, but you pass it on your own sense of spiritual pride. Number three is no longer feel that you need to pray. We fall into spiritual pride when we feel like, "Mm, we got it. It's all good. I don't need to ask God. I don't need to pray and talk with him. And the last one is that you feel that the work of Jesus depends on you. The deepest sense of spiritual pride says, I can do this on my own. Thanks God for the gifts, for the blessings, but I got it. You need me actually. And we've got it wrong. We're beginning to see a prideful heart in Jonah that's continued through the book. And spoiler alert, he still severely wrestles with it to the very end. See, Jonah, throughout this prayer, we've yet to see a point where he truly repents. And says, sorry, God, for what I did. But yet, God's the only one he can turn to. You think even further to his heart's position. Why was Jonah praying in the first place? Because he had nowhere else to turn. There was no one else that could bring him salvation besides the Lord. The Lord had already provided the fish to capture and rescue him. There was nowhere else to turn. So he begins praying. He had to. He had to do that to be saved. And yet we see a gracious, compassionate, loving God save him. Even so much so in spite of himself, as we learn throughout the book, Lord provides this rescue in fullness by a fish who vomits him. Like Jonah, we're all in need of saving in our everyday. Even situationally, I'm sure you face that. But spiritually, too. That we can't do good enough. God's good is too good for us to attain. That we've fallen short. So for you, what can we observe and learn from Jonah? by the grace of God. And the first one is this, that God offers to rescue me through the work of Jesus. God offers a rescue to me through the work of Jesus. Like Jonah in need of saving, God offers that rescue through Jesus. I think quickly of my um, daughter, Della. She, we're, we're starting to get out smaller baby toys and she wants to play with them. One specifically is one that the baby's supposed to ride in and like learn kind of to walk, but it's really just a play sitting thing that you push them around kind of. You get it. You get it, right? And, and in, this, in this toy, she's like, I really want to sit in it. And so she does. She climbs in. She's good. She's like bigger than the whole toy itself, you know, but she's like kind of sitting in it and playing around like, like she were a baby. All of a sudden, she begins to try to get out and she gets stuck one foot in, one foot out right? She's she's stuck. And it's kind of hurting. She begins to cry. I can't get out. Meltdown Central about to come, right? And so as a good dad, like many of you dads, I go over and say, hey, let me help you get out of this. And her response, I'm good. I'm good, dad. No, I can do it. I can do it. I don't want your help. Okay, okay. So ten minutes go by. She's still crying, still stuck in the toy. I come back, say the same thing. No, I'm good. Comes the third time, and I just forcefully rescue her from this toy. I forcefully take her out. Say, I got this. I, you're in the situation you could not get out of on your own. So I take her out. She needed rescue. I offered it, and I forcefully gave it to her. But unlike our relationship with God, he chooses to not forcefully give it to us, but allows us to willingly accept it, to willingly receive it, to willingly choose. And I think Della still has her leg. That was part of my point in rescuing her. But all in all, she was stuck in need of rescue. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of our sins. Friends, God is on a rescue path for you to forgive your sins and debt to him. Each of us is offered that same rescue, like Jonah, through the work of Jesus. Number two is this, I can turn back to God and receive salvation through Jesus. Like Jonah, to receive a saving, he must recognize his need, and he surely did. Although he hasn't yet recognized maybe his spiritual pride need yet, God still offered salvation. We can fully through Jesus, too. I think uh, my time living in Chicago. And if you've ever driven in Chicago before, you know it's kind of a wild city, <laughs> And uh, I didn't know if you knew, but in section Nine Sixteen Zero Forty of the City of Chicago Municipal Code, I know you know that, um, the the code states that the driver of any vehicle cannot take a U-turn within 100 feet of an intersection, believe it or not. So there's tons of signs leading up to intersections within 100 feet that are saying, no, go, you cannot do a U-turn here. And I see the, the relevance for that because you think of an intersection to be red lights, green lights, all that kind of stuff and the need to, if someone needed to do a U-turn, like how that could be dangerous. You don't know who's oncoming, who's not. You're kind of U-turning in the middle of all of it. But also I'm beginning to realize the, 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 the point here is that they don't want that to happen but also why would many want to do a U-turn near an intersection? Because if you've experienced Chicago or any other city, city living, You roll up to an intersection, and the closer you get, the more you feel like, I gotta get out of this, right? This is so long, this line is so big, there's so many cars here, this intersection is jam-packed, right? You feel this desperate need to turn back. I gotta get out of this, I see the line, I see the people. The closer you get to the city, pedestrians are in play, and if you're like me, you don't pay attention to the clock winding down, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, and we need to do that better, okay? I need to do that better. Maybe I'm talking to myself. But regardless, like there's people in the intersection and it slows the traffic flow. You get to some intersections and you know that light is so short. You're like, this line is so long, so short. And so we feel the need to turn back, get out of here. Because in Chicago, every road leads to the same place. It just is how the math works. I don't know if that's math, but it's just how the, the graph works. I don't know. But it's just, you gotta get, get back. And, and, and they made it illegal to do so out of the safety for me and you but you realize why they really might want to. Unlike laws and rules of Chicagoland or elsewhere, God doesn't have any law for you to turn back at any intersection. He welcomes it regardless of where you're at. For we've all sinned and fallen short, yet our all, at any circumstance or intersection or moment in our life, are offered the ability to turn back and follow him to turn back in repentance and be focused on him, to, to, to find forgiveness by him, experience grace through him. And although we're not stuck in the belly of a fish, maybe stuck in some situations where we just need to turn back, there's no, no U-turn here. There always is with God. And Jonah knew that. You think of his prayer, the but God. He knew God was compassionate and loving. But God saved me. But God always made opportunity and way. But God demonstrates his love for us that even while we were sinful, Christ died for us. But God. We're kind of in places where Jonah is currently in our present, that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves but it's only by his grace and, by, and through our faith that we're able to take a step and you turn back to God. How gracious and good of a God to gift us that ability, but yet the offer stands for you to turn back. It's only the choice you can make, not forced on you, but offered. Maybe that's something we can learn from Jonah, although he's, he's, he's very prideful and continually be, and as we see near the end of the book, still is. He knows who he can turn to. He knows God is full of compassion and mercy, and he knows full of grace for his present. That same God with compassion towards Jonah has compassion towards you, has love towards you, the fullness of it in an extent through Jesus, his very own son sent to die for you, that you're able to turn back, And have a relationship, not for eternity to be. Let me cash it in so later on I can live it. But he promises a new life now that you experience with him by the power of his Holy Spirit that you walk in today. How good of a God did not say wait for later, but meaningful living today. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, as I close, says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's this gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And you believe it. Even in our times of deep-needed, rooted rescue, or we need to turn back and we repent and God offers forgiveness, there's no boasting for that work, because he did it all through our faith and by his grace. So as I close in prayer, I would, I would encourage you just to lean into what God might be illuminating in your life, that, that you need to turn back. Whatever intersection you're at, whatever, whatever present you're in, uh, you're not in the belly of a fish, similar to Jonah, but you're somewhere with God. You're on a journey in some place, and I would encourage you as I pray to say the prayer for yourself. God, illuminate to me where I need to turn back to you and show me the continual way of everlasting life in you today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for our time this morning. Thank you for um, walking through uh, Jonah with us. It's your word, God, that uh, we're able to um, read and, and, and learn and grow in you. So, God, thank you for using people like Jonah. And, and so far right now, in spite of himself and this deep-rooted pride in which he is walking in, I, I pray, God, that you would help us recognize places in which we walk that we need to turn back and turn to you. God, you offer us rescue by the work of Christ. You offer us forgiveness and grace through that as well. And all you, all, 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 all you need, God, is our faith, our trust in you. You do the rest so that no man can boast. So God, I thank you for that great, amazing gift that you give us. And the compassion and love and mercy and joy you share with us by that very truth. So God, lead us in the way of everlasting, may your Holy Spirit guide us this week as we process and reflect and remember you, but God, and your demonstration of love for us. May we accept it, be obedient to it, and walk in it fully.